0: Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners. You know, in just six weeks, Premier Danielle Smith's government hit the nuclear reset button on health care. They invoked the Sovereignty Act over federal clean electricity regulations. They kind of sort of committed to a referendum on an Alberta pension plan. And they took a record setting delegation to COP28 in Dubai. We review the fall session with the co hosts of The Discourse, Cheryl Oates and Erica Baroudis, right now.
1: This is a relay project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: We're going inside on today's episode of Real Talk. We're going to check in with the two former senior staffers with the last two governments, technically the last three, but we're going to get to Rachel Notley's former communications director, Danielle Smith's former principal secretary. You know them as the co-hosts of The Discourse, which is Alberta Politics' newest and hottest podcast. Uh, Erica Brutis, Cheryl Oates will be joining us in just a second. As the Alberta delegation returns from COP28, how do you gauge the wins and the losses? What's the public messaging on this one? What's the deal with Rachel Notley's looming or rumored retirement and who might replace her? As we look back on fall session at the legislature, what were the key storylines? What should Albertans and the rest of the country be keeping an eye on? That's where we'll go In today's episode, plus we've got emails from you. We're getting more lately than we have in the history of this show. It's like this audience is coming more alive than it already is uh, or has been for the past few years, which is saying something Riley writes in and says, this is my first email to you. Eek! We're going to get to Riley's take on our conversation with Tristan Hopper yesterday, plus Brad and Jason have something to say about our Charles Adler interview back on Monday. Uh, those two always stirring the pot. And of course, we want to remind you that this conversation, this show doesn't happen without today's Presenting sponsor and that's our friends at rello it's a perfect time of year to check out rello.ca for a lot of people the turnover of the calendar from 2023 to 2024 is a, a new beginning maybe you're making one of those resolutions right maybe you're resolving to get out of that job that you've been so unsatisfied at forever and launch a new career In real estate, the best place to start is Rello's affordable online courses that make it easier than ever to pass your exam and get your real estate license so you can get started on running your own business, setting your own hours, And being your own boss, how good does that sound? You'll help people every day as they buy or sell their homes. And, of course, you know your earning potential is unlimited. The best part about Rello is how committed they are to your success. Live instructors hosting online exam prep sessions every weekend, resources, a whole bunch of them to help you launch your business well after you've passed that exam and gotten licensed. And right now, a great offer special for Real Talkers, You can knock 20% off your course. This is a cool Christmas gift idea for somebody that's been wanting to get into real. Real Estate, 20% off any Rello course with the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK at rello.ca. Happy hump day. Yeah, happy hump day, pal. How are you feeling? You good? We kind of just launched hot nabby yeah. into that one and, and didn't really check in with you. I'm doing
2: good. How yeah. was the game last night? Connor versus Connor. Connor versus Connor. Had yeah. a chance
0: to be in the building and, and see Bedard v. McDavid. And he and scored I that two zinger things off happened. the top. I loved it because, yeah, Bedard comes in and scores in the first few minutes. Yeah, which is amazing. Gives, all the kids are happy. Yeah. All the kids are really excited. <laughs> of course. And I was thinking this might be interesting as well because it's probably pissing off Connor McDavid just a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. He doesn't like when the younger <laughs> Connor scores the first goal in his barn, yeah. right? I saw some Somebody uh somebody had a sign up that said Connor McDavid Who? And I was like <laughs> I
2: was like I saw oh one boy. on TV that said, put the kid Connor to bedard. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I thought that one was yeah. but Connor McDavid just inching above him, you know, two points. Yeah little faster on the funny. ice He's after like that the so elder it's like,
0: statesman now in yeah. the league at 27 or whatever he mm-hmm. is hey before we welcome in our co-host why don't we uh why don't we tee up a clip we, we've got a sure. highlight pulled from their most recent episode so you know this the discourse launched about six weeks ago uh, a new podcast that, that launched with great acclaim and and we'll talk to cheryl and erica about this in just a second the past two episodes the two most recent ones they had video questions submitted and not just by any audience member first they had the premier of Alberta, and then there was this one just recently.
1: So why then is Danielle
3: Smith continuing to barrel ahead with this particular plan when businesses don't
1: want it, accountants don't want it, Albertans don't want it, um, and and everybody thinks that uh, it's going to undermine our economic growth? What's going on here? What's the real
3: agenda? I think she's making it too political now and leaning too hard in that I think it's actually going to turn people off. Like from politics, uh, this is this is the sign where people, you know, why people get sick of hearing from politicians. This is a prime example.
4: I I totally totally disagree. Although I think what you just said could be applied to many issues, and I think certainly there is a point where people sort of reach their saturation, and they get sick of hearing about an issue, especially if it's an issue with super hot rhetoric. I don't think this is one of those issues. I think if you look at what the NDP has done, which is consultations across Alberta, which they continue to do, they've tried really hard to make those sessions nonpartisan. And I think they've done a pretty good job other than, you know, as you've said before, there's a few hot um, pieces of rhetoric. I mean, they're going in saying, you know, we have an agenda to to stop the, the government from moving us Alberta out of CPP. Um, but those sessions have been flooded with people who do not hold NDP memberships.
0: That was Cheryl Oates before her, Erica Broodies. And of course, you heard the voice of Rachel Notley as we welcome the co-hosts of the discourse to real talk good morning to you both it's nice to see you congratulations I guess do we congratulate you on the wrap of of covering the fall session I know that the politicians take a bit of a breath how about the two of you a bit of a breather as, as fall session wraps
4: yeah we'll take all congratulations, Ryan. <laughs>
0: yeah well nice. congratulations on the podcast. It was great and and uh you know we we've been excited to see the growth of that and and the audience uh in, in a lot of weeks double and then double again and then it's it's obviously uh catching on for the two of you. You're talking about stuff that you know you've you've been on the inside working in politics. Uh, for a long time. Erica is as, as you took a look at this fall session through a different lens, obviously, as as now putting a podcast together. How, how, how did you view it differently than you were when you were working in the premier's office as an example?
3: Well, it was way more fun uh, to be a commentator <laughs> as opposed to live and breathe, you know, motions and everything that was happening. So, um, you know, I I think it was different for me to look at, you know, more of what it mattered to Albertans than the inside baseball that the session usually brings about. So we saw a lot from, you know, the narrative that the premier was driving and the narrative that the NDP uh, and Rachel Notley were driving. And it gave Shia and I lots and lots to talk about during our six uh, episode pilot series.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Through that series, of you had uh, basically sort of a one big theme per episode, and we'll get into some of those today. We'll talk about the, the Alberta pension plan idea. Obviously, COP was a big one, you know, whether or not Alberta should have sent a delegation of that size and, and whether or not it's an effective use of funds and all that sort of a thing. But but Cheryl, the discourse offering people something a little bit different, getting, getting people from very different partisan backgrounds, very different professional political backgrounds to come together and, and see if there's any middle ground. Uh, through the six episodes, did you and Erica find middle ground on anything?
4: Uh, I think we found a couple of things. I think what has been really different is that, you know, Erica and I sort of going head to head in terms of our political ideologies and political ideas is not brand new. We have throughout our political careers uh, been voluntold or in some cases volunteered to be the spokespeople for our respective parties. And that is so much different than this. Like towing your party line and delivering talking points during an election campaign is so much different than having the opportunity to participate in a really in-depth political discussion as an individual who's colored by our political background. So it's been a, a ton of fun. To sort of dig into this and you know take the moments where they exist to admit that, you know, maybe your party could have done better or maybe the other party has a point to make. Um, and I think we've been pretty willing to do that. And I think I hope that those listening um get a more honest look at what's happening in politics in Alberta and through you know our 30 to 45 minute episodes, really get a fulsome look at the issues rather than Uh, something that's a little bit more biased, which exists, you know, wherever you'd like to find it.
0: Yeah. Well, I I would love as, as the go ahead, Erica.
4: Oh, I was just going to say, I think
3: Cheryl summarized, you know, our intention really, really well is we're not here to, you know, drive our party point home. We, you know, can take a little bit more of a constructive criticism to how our party, you know, did well or, you know, had some shortfalls. And ultimately for the listeners, it's to give two sides in a, a, a discourse in order for them to come up to with their own conclusions. So we're not standing here like we were during the election every week you know, trying to sway voters, we are sitting here being able to dissect a little bit more um, into the weeds and let people come up with their own conclusions in third to 45 minutes which you know there's lots of busy people in Alberta working hard and we want to make it effective for
0: them yeah well it's it's nice to have a, a show that people can listen like during their commute from start to finish so I think you guys structured it really well let's let's get into this I'm I'm looking forward to your analysis on this if, if I, I'll put you both on the spot and say kind of what was the storyline of fall session which which wrapped this past Thursday on the 7th but but you know let's also acknowledge Cheryl that that when you're talking politics the story of fall session might be what was accomplished in the legislature like what did the government accomplish Uh, the storyline could be you know what did the official opposition manage to keep on people's radar or it might be what was the general public spending all its time thinking about and talking about and those aren't always the same things
4: yeah yeah Yeah, I I think oh go ahead Cheryl thanks um I think the like of course, the government and the opposition have different goals for the session, and that's because they have different resources. Having been in both positions, having serves on, served on both sides, no one will argue with the fact that the government gets to shape the narrative of session. The government is in control of the session. They're introducing bills. They are, you know, they have the media with them. They're dropping press releases, typically daily. They have a throne speech that kicks it all off and sort of um, shapes a picture of what the session will look like. And the opposition's job is to mess that up as much as possible. And I think, truthfully, I think both made some progress in reaching their goals. Like it's very hard to say when Danielle Smith invokes the Sovereignty Act that she didn't get the attention of Alberta, that she didn't reach her goals of, you know, showing that she's going to stand up to Ottawa no matter what it takes. And she got front pages across the country in line with uh, her, her political narrative of standing up to Ottawa at all costs. At the same time, the NDP capped pensions and the provincial government's failure to properly consult on the idea of leaving CPP in the foreground for the entire session. And they've capitalized on the fact that the provincial government has failed to do face-to-face sessions and failed to give Albertans a real opportunity to say that they don't want to leave CPP by doing a whole round of their own. And that has not only gained them a ton of new supporters and a ton of new data, but it's also helped them continue to build as a credible alternative to government, which is what these four years are about for the opposition.
0: Yeah, that's got to be obviously job number one. Erica, do you agree or disagree with Cheryl's assessment?
3: I I would say the two biggest things that came out of session um, were not actually the legislative agenda, which is actually quite surprising for a party that's coming in with their first legislative session uh, and throne speech following uh, an election cycle or an election win. Um, I would say the the domination of talking about the CPP-APP discussion, as well as standing up to Ottawa, dominated you know you can see it in our podcast one of those things was touched on at least every episode so these are things that uh cheryl and i dissect you know the role that the ndp played in jumping into a communication gap and talking and driving the conversation around their views of the uh cpp and not wanting alberta to leave as well as um you know danielle smith and the ucp doing an incredible job of getting, uh, the attention nationally and internationally. I know we're going to talk about COP, um, internationally and then locally, she, she really dominated and got media attention. And I suspect Rachel Notley in her year end interviews was asked two questions. Are you leaving? And what do you think of the pension? And so, you know, those are things that she can probably speak to one probably wants to more than the other, but, uh, you know, Daniel Smith and the UCP really, I think, got got their point across as well.
0: We will talk about Notley leaving in the race to replace her uh, a little bit later in this conversation. If you're just tuning in uh, live streaming on the Mixler audio app presented by California Closets, Erica Brudy's joining us, uh, former uh, principal secretary for Premier Danielle Smith and uh, Cheryl Oates. Uh, Cheryl, it was director of comms, right? That was your official job title with Rachel Notley. Uh, right. and and you were with her basically from the beginning I mean you you saw the 4 to 54 you saw the orange crush you were there for all of that so both of you have worked in the premier's office I love this we've got some new folks in our live chat on YouTube David just familiarizing himself with this he goes I'm going to have to start listening to the discourse I like listening to podcasts where the hosts have different opinions and different views which is uh, great to hear David and, and I think that this could be the show for you so so let's talk about cop uh, there was some cynicism <laughs> and I'm and I'm saying that like uh, facetiously there was obviously a ton of criticism around the size of Alberta's delegation going to COP Uh, we could split hairs on like who's paying for what or which government departments or who's paying their own freight not to say that it's an irrelevant conversation but the point is um, Alberta from the premier's office, from industry and elsewhere, decided to make a big statement, sending, as uh, Federal Minister Gibault told us on this show, the biggest provincial delegation in Canadian history at COP. Uh, Cheryl, when you take a look at what was accomplished or what wasn't, Erica says Alberta's gleaning international attention. Uh, how do you gauge whether or not that was worth the expenditure, worth the time, worth putting it out there?
4: You know, I think it's really hard having been on a few international trade missions with the government. I think it's really hard from the outside to to be able to tell what is worthwhile and what is not, because there's like there is a million side meetings happening. And and truthfully, um, and this is an opportunity. COP is an opportunity for Alberta to tell its story on a world stage and to go talk about the incredible work that industry is doing to develop technology and decarbonize. Um That, however, I think was competing with the overall message that Daniel Smith took. You can't at at one point out of one side of your mouth say we're going to go talk about the incredible work that Alberta is doing to decarbonize and move towards our shared climate goals. And then at the same time, go to COP to use that world stage to threaten to over and over again invoke the Sovereignty Act against climate measures. And like I've said before, I think in a few cases she overswung. So when it comes to the clean energy regulations, I think most people are unhappy with the current form of the clean energy regs. And there's a granular, and I I just, I don't think this is the right tool, but there's a granular of logic to why Daniel Smith would push back against that. But you can't push on everything. And she swung and she swung. She swung at methane targets, which I think was an incredible overswing. She's using her political capital in all the wrong places. And you can't do that and undermine your own reputation at the same time that you say you're going to use that reputation to go get great deals and promote Alberta's uh, the innovation that Alberta is working on.
0: Yeah, it sort of seemed, Erica, push back on this if you want, but but one of the things that, that I'm, as I'm watching COP, admittedly from thousands of kilometers away, on one hand, you've got the Premier of Alberta sitting down with, with big power players from major oil producing nations, which is a win for Alberta's oil and gas sector, obviously somewhat ironic. I mean, the setting where they are at cop having these meetings but then you've also got danielle smith i think trying to earn alberta some credibility over there talking about alberta as a great jurisdiction to invest in wind and solar as a moratorium is currently imposed on wind and solar and i'm sitting there going i hope that these people i hope that this audience isn't doing a very quick brief google search because they're quickly going to find out how contradictory and quite frankly ridiculous some of that promotion is fair or unfair
3: I think to some degree, uh, I agree with some of the things you and Cheryl have said, and someone can clip that for some time in the future. But uh, I, I think that there was some unfortunate uh, items that came up at, at COP and Cheryl covered them, which was you know some of our domestic disputes between uh, Alberta and the federal government taking the main stage. And unfortunately that's what media is gonna cover because that is the most relatable for Canadians and Albertans to understand. And so it overshadowed some of the incredible work that I think you highlighted, Ryan. You know, she's meeting with Qatar Airways. She's meeting with prime ministers and presidents uh, of the Middle East talking about uh, partnering and bringing business to Alberta. And I will say, I think she did a stronger job to advocate for Alberta than Premier, or than Prime um, well, Prime Minister wasn't even there, Minister Guibo. Uh, I spent more time on his Twitter than I think I ever have to try and see what he was doing and how he was reaching out to talk about business in Canada and partnering and the work that we, whether you believe it's good work or not, have done. Um, and so Premier Danielle Smith leveraged this not just as the, cop but an international mission to talk about things like transportation and health sector um, innovation technology so overall i would say the mission to dubai and partnering with uae and uh, qatar in the future will have significant impact on alberta we just won't see it translate today um, so I would say that I think the overall mission to COP was a success, but it was overshadowed by some unfortunate, you know, Alberta federal government disputes that obviously came up, especially around methane.
0: Yeah, the the methane one seemed kind of strange because, as far as the average person can tell, the federal regulations don't differ that much from what was already happening in in Alberta. And I thought it was interesting, Cheryl, when you when you point to to Daniel Smith expending political capital, in your words, in in all the wrong areas. Maybe you can touch on that on on the strategy behind that and as as you're working as a director of comms for a premier or for the leader of the official opposition when you choose to dig in and and when you choose to kind of keep your powder dry so to speak and why that's such an important decision
4: yeah i think i mean i've said this in the podcast and i think it's incredibly true that every successful politician needs a villain they need a story to tell they need a political narrative and Daniel Smith has a great villain in the federal government. It's picking up on a sentiment that already exists in Alberta, and she's p- p- positioning herself as the hero that's going to take on Ottawa's attack against Alberta's industry. And that, as a political strategy, assuming that you know she continues to have a target in Ottawa could be incredibly successful for her. But for that to continue to be successful, it has to be credible. It has to be logical. You have to have third-party validators that are saying, you know, she's saying all the right things. In the case of methane, you have oil and gas around the world. You have industry saying, you know, these targets are largely achievable. And we've already proven it in Alberta. So if you're going to use your big stick and invoke the Sovereignty Act, it better be worth it and on this in this case where we're saying largely these targets are achievable it doesn't seem logical nobody's nodding their head at this and so the more times that daniel smith does this uh, the less credible it is in situations where we, we actually might need it and I think it starts to become white noise and people people start to tune it out saying yeah you know she has the sovereignty act but she just uses that thing on everything
0: yeah I think the sovereignty act uh, works to get people's attention uh, you have people's you know different opinions on whether or not it was necessary whether or not it makes sense whether or not it's constitutional uh, we've litigated that in past episodes I know the two of you have talked about it a lot on the discourse if you look at probably the most significant developments over the past number of weeks out of the Alberta legislature you probably have to look at that the at the nuclear bomb approach to reshuffling Alberta health services as one of the top stories right Eric like early on I mean it's way too early to tell whether or not that's going to be a disaster whether or not it's a move in the right direction but it was certainly a huge shakeup. Uh, what message did the government send by by doing that by hitting the big red button basically on health
3: well, I, I I think we've even said this on the show, you know, if, if you have been surprised that this happened, you haven't been to paying attention to what government's been talking about for actually four years. And more importantly, you know, during Premier Danielle Smith's leadership and into now. So I think the big red button was inevitable if you watched anything that had happened over the last, uh, you know, four years and and especially in the last six to nine months. Um it's, it's interesting because when it happened and came out, it was, you know, you had both sides coming out, uh, supportive or angry. I think the government and, you know, Cheryl and I both worked for premiers. I worked for Premier Redford and her comm shop. Um, they rolled it out actually really well by having former Premier Stalmack, who brought in the super board, be one of the champions. Uh, they had an incredible list of stakeholders, doctors, nurses, all of the major organizations. And so I think that they rolled it out well. and it actually didn't dominate the the airways um, as much as I think most people would have expected. People were like, okay, and yeah, it it didn't take as much uh, oxygen out of everything else. And so I think that's because... it was preconditioned that it was happening. And also that, again, you can't criticize something uh, that, especially that big without giving it the time to, to unfold. And since then they've announced a new CEO, they've, you know, put in a new board. There's been a lot of other pieces that I think we'll see again, also more in 2024 of, of how they're actually rolling this out, which may give them more applause or more, more room for criticism. Once you see the actual results of this decision.
0: Yeah. Cheryl, based on your educated perspective, Are are you in kind of a wait-and-see approach on evaluating the the healthcare shuffle or how are you looking at it right now?
4: I mean, I'm certainly open. As an Albertan, I'm absolutely open. I hope – I think our healthcare system needs reform, and we need to do things differently, and something needs to change because it's not working. I do have concerns over this approach. I think it adds a ton of chaos at a time when the system is already in crisis, leading into a season which historically has seen higher capacity uh in hospitals and higher capacity and more capacity issues in hospitals. Um and I don't think that it's giving on the ground support where we need it the most. Like we had a massive plan here, a huge plan that I hope was well thought through that includes no immediate increase to frontline workers. We need doctors, we need nurses, we need people to care for the people who are looking for healthcare now. There are so many people in Alberta, and I was on this list until last month, who do not have a family doctor. And I think, you know, looking at the healthcare system, when you come in in the middle of a crisis, making sure that people have access to acute care and um, long-term care when they need it, that should be job number one. And I don't I don't see the government having taken any action here. I also think that their most recent announcement on blowing up the healthcare system and restructuring it really concentrates power in the wrong places, which is in the hands of political elected people rather than in the hands of professionals. And I think that Albertans should be worried about that and should be keeping a really close eye on it as this restructuring plays out.
0: Uh, Cheryl, without getting too personal, uh, I am one of the people that still doesn't have a family doctor. How did you end up finding one? Can, can you reveal your secret? Was it like a friend had a doctor that was, no, it
4: was someone, I found it on the, uh, find a family doctor page. And I think I just called like at the exact right moment.
0: Oh well, congratulations! It is actually a thing. Uh, this isn't like for people that can't find a family doctor. It's not that they're lazy. It is a real thing. There is a real shortage. It's been interesting, and we're going to be talking tomorrow uh, to the president of the Alberta Medical Association, Dr. Paul Parks, will join me. And we're going to talk, by the way, to a, an exec with Alberta dentists as well. That's another storyline that I think is is flying under the radar. But I know that the doctors, generally speaking, are are choked about about you know and I'm not speaking for every single one of them obviously but generally speaking um, I think about changes to nursing and, and how nurse practitioners are going to be, uh, you know, offered new opportunities. And, and I obviously, I think Alberta is trying to incentivize um, not just uh, retention of healthcare staff, but also recruiting them and try to try to meet what's expected to be a big population uh, demand. There's a comment here on the live chat. I think it's from Sylvia Erica that says Daniel Smith is centralizing power in her office. And, and she says in her words that she's finding that uh, to be scary. Fair criticism as you know, if, if you, going to be as objective as possible approaching what you saw at fall session it, 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 i think that that's a fair assessment of what's happening
3: and i would think that sylvia um is probably referring to uh you know the preston manning report that came out that is talking about more on uh the covid response and on on healthcare crisis. Uh, We've seen, yes, immediately they did, you know, put a a chief administrator in, there was less, um, you know, high level individuals at AHS, but we've seen that shift and that was never intended to be long-term. So I I would say to Sylvia, I I think that's where you're coming from. I don't think that that is the case with all aspects of the healthcare now that there is, you know, some of the key players in place um, at AHS, you've seen some shifts in Alberta health as well. That should diffuse. And as a conservative, I am all about small government. So I would love to see some of that diffusion of power. And I don't want Albertans to to think that that's what this government would be doing is putting too much power in in the politicians hands uh, or in the premier's office. So I think we'll see uh, a transition away from that. I think that was to get stuff moving along and take quick action uh, rather than a permanent uh concept that, that Albertans will see.
0: Uh, Ken's got a great comment here and I think that he's bang on in our YouTube live chat says the fact that the fact is that the market speaks and there's very little incentive uh, for medical students these days to opt into family medicine as a career. He says we need to increase their compensation regardless of how badly this government doesn't want to do that. That from Ken. I just think there's so many challenges and Ken's right in uh, facing family docs. We talked to Dr. Bradley Martin out of Hinton uh, a while ago. I guess it was a few weeks weeks ago now and he's he's basically walking away from his practice he's still going to work out of the hospital but it's just not worth it for him at the end of the day and he was very candid about the impact it's having on his family and his own mental health I mean that's one guy but I think he's probably speaking for a lot of people yeah. Erica I can tell you have well, something you want to yeah. say <laughs>
3: I'm like, oh, oh. well okay <laughs> always. so I yeah, yeah always <laughs> I'm like oh, let me see you guys um, so I will say my dad is a family physician, uh, practice in Saskatchewan. So I usually get an earful about what the government could and could not do unsolicited usually. Uh, but you know, so I do understand. And even when I was in the premier's office in, in 2011 to 2014, it, the doctor's negotiations were happening. It's a lot of the same conversations that happened then, and it's been happening for a decade. I think that there's work that the government needs to do with family physicians um, there is a gap, you know, on, on their fee for service, looking at that structure, on what they're compensated on. They are, you know, entrepreneurs ultimately. So, uh, you know, looking at if that's the right fit. Um, I will say, though, and, and I know you mentioned you have a dentist coming on, that I would love if we all started to look at it as the primary point of care. And I think that's what you're seeing the government's, the government talk about more about as opposed to just family doctors, Now, not discrediting the need to address family docs, but if you can also look at it as point of care, and we've seen that with nurse practitioners being able to run clinics from getting people in the doors and seeing a health expert that can support them, um, I would love, and I don't know you know, what your questions are for the dentist, but I think the dentistry model is actually interesting. That could be something that um, physicians start to explore on having the doctor come in when needed like your dentist does and you deal with a dental assistant and a dental hygienist until that scope is is extended
0: yeah uh, i'll just let people know it's it'll it'll be uh, dr jenny dirksen who's going to join us uh she's vice president to the alberta dental association so that's coming up we've we've got the doctors and the dentists coming up on on thursday's real talk um cheryl was it a a miss like was it a pr miss for Alberta's health minister to, to sit down with, with uh, the, the name escapes me, I'll find it while we're talking, you know who I'm talking about, the naturopaths, uh, was it, that, was that like, it's uh, for a lot of people that might be sort of a benign move, like, who really cares, I have a friend that goes to see a naturopath, but it kind of sends a message when it's the health minister, right?
4: You know, I think this was just poorly thought out, because, Like talking to the naturopaths in Alberta is not I don't think that's completely unacceptable for a health care the health minister to do. I think the health minister sitting down and posting the kind of tweet that she did at a time when people cannot get in to see a family doctor and the health care the health system, the primary care system is in crisis, looks out of touch. Like, I think that people want to see the health minister sitting down with doctors talking about how people get more access to family physicians, something that Erica was just alluding to, talking about how we make sure that there's capacity in our hospitals over the influenza season. Um, I just think it looked like her priorities are not right and that she's completely out of touch with the crisis that currently exists. And, you know, the tweet kind of made it sound like there was a solution to a primary care crisis in working with naturopaths. And like, I don't have a problem with naturopaths. I think they can be a great addition to primary health care but I don't think they're the solution to the current crisis and it 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 sort of left the wrong impression or taste I think in Albertans mouths when they see that and they know how the health minister is spending her time
0: yeah and I mean the naturopaths are pushing for a bigger role right Erica sorry to step on your toes but I mean they want to be able to prescribe drugs they're asking for a bigger role and I think that that's when maybe members of the general public and probably professionals in the medical community start to get a little bit skittish Erica
3: yeah, I was going to say tweet aside, I think that again it comes back to what the government is trying to achieve and and look at is a holistic approach. So in order to reduce people going to the emergency room, you know, explore your other options that you have access to, preventative health, more education around your own health can help. And so you know, I I wouldn't say maybe the the tweet really showcased that, but when I watch those things, I'm saying, okay, this government has been consistent on let's all look at ways to take better care of ourselves in hopes that we, you know, don't need to access the healthcare system them as much or directly through the emergency room. And I'm sure emergency doctors would be really happy um, to hear that, you know, you're finding other ways to leverage the healthcare system or look out for your own health needs. Um, and so I, I think that this is actually in line with what the government has been talking about, which is explore all options, look at point of care. Again, we the, the doctors might be mad about the scope of practice extension on others, but if we have capable people in Alberta and we're talking about a labour shortage, why wouldn't you expand the scope of everyone to do their fulsome uh, job and be able to get more Albertans into clinics more access to the healthcare system. I just I don't understand how that's necessarily a bad thing to encourage people to do. Um, while they unfortunately also wait for for a family doctor. You can still get into to clinics and get access to healthcare. And I think that's maybe where the minister was trying to go um, with this is showing we're exploring all options. We are meeting with all healthcare providers, and we will continue to do so because this is a big shift of, you know, overhauling AHS and reforming it to the much needed change that Cheryl's also pointed out. Um, It's just about, how do
4: you do that? And I think that's where Cheryl and I always disagree.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Well, Go I, ahead, Cheryl. I
4: do. I like. I do disagree with this because it's like we're not ready for the nice to haves. We're not ready to say like, yeah, it would be nice to have naturopaths integrated so that people can take better care of themselves. We don't have frontline workers. Our frontline workers are burnt out, morale is super low, our healthcare system is in crisis. We are not at the point to say, it'd be really nice to have the naturopaths more fully integrated. We're at a point where we need doctors, we need access to family doctors. And I, for one, would be more encouraged to see a tweet with the health minister sitting down with family physicians saying, how can we make this practice something that graduating doctors want to enter so that generations of people have access to continuing care? Continuity of care I have gar- someone that knows think- their whole h- history, and I I just don't. The cake is not baked. There's no room for icing yet. Huh.
3: But I I think that the one thing, um, and I I feel like Ryan wants to move on, and we're just so used to going no back and no forth, moderator, we're like sorry, bye. No, um, it's fine. It's but, great. But I think um, you know you can't. You're looking at this as an isolated issue, Cheryl. You're looking at this from the lens of checking the box of getting new family physicians, which actually will take more than a year. You guys didn't do a great job of it when you were in power. And so now, you know, and that, and I'm not going to say that the PCs did it either. So this is not a one-year issue. We do need to put that infrastructure in place, but you can't hyper-focus when we're looking at healthcare on getting more doctors, because that isn't going to be the only solution that's going to solve all these problems. And it's not a flick the switch. We've got a bunch of doctors coming here. I think that we need to look at a bunch of different pieces. And that's what the government's doing. So yeah, it would be great if we had a flood of doctors wanting to come here tomorrow. Um, unfortunately that's not the case and that's not just the case in Alberta, that's across Canada. So we're not trying to steal from other jurisdictions because they have overflow everyone's dealing with this crisis. And I think that the way that the provincial government is, is. Approaching this is unique because they're looking at, again, point of care, getting you into a clinic um, where you do have access to a doctor, but you also aren't only seeing a doctor. And I know that those conversations, I can guarantee they're happening with the family physicians trying to find a solution, but you're also having a lot of conversations. As you know, politically, before you're going to take a photo and, and talk about that, they have everyone at the table right now, and they're going to continue to do that.
0: Yeah, uh, just as a point of, of, of interest, it was Dr. Rob Roth uh, that the health minister Adriana LaGrange met with she tweeted about it on December 4th about a week ago um, uh, Dr. Roth is president of the College of Naturopathic Doctors of Alberta uh, says her tweet to discuss the role that they play in primary care she did post a photo a couple of days later of a meeting with Dr. Parks from the Alberta Medical Association and, and obviously we'll ask him about that meeting when we talk to him tomorrow and I'll ask him quite frankly how he feels about naturopaths being involved in primary care and and I'll expect an interesting as you know, Erica is the daughter of a physician um and Cheryl, you've talked to a bunch of physicians. I'm sure uh, you get different opinions on things and they and sometimes they're fair and sometimes they're not, and they're always entertaining to watch from the outside when you start talking about healthcare disciplines like Naturopaths, when you start talking about chiropractors, when you start talking about those that fall outside of what's fully funded in a healthcare system, you'll get very different opinions on the role that those medical professionals should play. Um, we're going to hit pause for a quick second. Uh, when we come back with uh, Erica and Cheryl, I want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about how Danielle Smith did. I'm going to cut to the chase and act it like this. Uh, you know, I mean, when Dave Cornway, when we were talking to uh, Darren Billison here the other day, you remember that? And Dave's doing his Alberta Politics annual survey, and we talked about the biggest political storyline of the year. And what was it? They said basically stifling the crazy during the election campaign. How did the UCP fare during fall session? We'll ask them that. And what does Rachel Notley's future look like? For that matter, the future of the Alberta NDP. That's coming up in a quick second. But first, I wanted to remind those of you that are looking for something special, something spectacular this holiday season to feed your family, to feed your friends. We want to point you toward F effingseafoods.com Now I'm not shortening Whoa. it. I'm not I'm, I'm not uh, this is this is not censorship. <laughs> it literally is effing e f f i n g effingseafoods.com. You can go on the website to learn more about the name. This is an amazing business owned by Rob Tryon, uh, and they've got a beautiful storefront in St. Albert just outside Edmonton, but you can shop online at effingseafoods.com and they've got a promo code through the holiday season. This is great. jespo 15 all one word. Jespo. 15 takes 15% off all effing fresh and effing frozen products. These are uh, amazing holiday opportunities. Get your hands on oysters, lobster, caviar, and much more. That's Jespo 15 to take 15% off the best seafood you're going to find in the Metro Edmonton region. They're flying stuff in daily from all around the world. You can learn more at effingseafoods.com. That's our effing friends, awesome. That is effing awesome. <laughs> you got to get on the t-shirt campaign <laughs> with do. them. Yeah, gonna, Moonlight is their billboard designer. Uh, so great to run into our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy just last night and, and have a chance to check in and, and get some fresh points to bring to you. I said, what do you want to remind people about? They said, hey, just mm-hmm. remind folks that Tesla Powerwalls can be the saving grace in the event of a power outage this holiday season. More and more people are looking to home battery storage and nobody does it better than Kubi Renewable Energy. Whether it's Inflatable Santa's, Christmas lights, reindeer, you know, powering your front yard to illuminate the neighborhood is no easy task, especially when all the neighbors are doing the exact same thing. And with so many residents relying on energy providers, the chance of power outages only increase. You can have your own sustainability guarantee the power supply to your home or your business by talking to the team at kubi energy today and if you're looking at a renovation project over this next year or heaven forbid disaster strikes a pipe bursts your basement floods we want you to think of complete care restoration first now of course your insurance policy probably lets you choose who's going to do the work So why choose Complete Care? Well, there's a million reasons. Their professionalism certainly is at the top of the list, but they're so proud to be recycling more than 70% on average, more than 70% of the materials they're clearing out of job sites. There's nobody else that even comes close to that. Province-wide, that's why we give two thumbs up to Complete Care Restoration. Hanging out with Cheryl Oates, Erica Baroudis. They've just wrapped their pilot season, season one of The Discourse, an Alberta politics podcast. Uh, Let me ask you this first, Cheryl. I, I guess in a position I'm sort of dumbing it down here, but opposing the current government, maybe not technically, but commenting on it. You're not exactly Team UCP. How did Danielle Smith do as Premier through the fall session sort of working to establish confidence and maybe even some support from people that wouldn't support her in past. In other words, kind of keeping a lid on accusations that things can get a little crazy in that premier's office.
4: I think like there's two things. I think Danielle Smith, through her leadership, through her radio show in years prior to her leadership and through the election, really built a reputation for herself as speaking far faster than she thought and saying some really wild and crazy things before having really thoroughly thought them through and maybe sought advice on any of them. And since she's become premier, I certainly have seen that dialed back a lot. And I think that she has learned she learned a lot of lessons through the campaign and she probably learned some lessons from her success in the debate for what you get when you present a really credible thoughtful sometimes scripted leadership candidate and she's sort of pulled that into her position as premier in these first few months and i think she i think she's been successful in that in terms of her uh, actual work in that role i think some of the things she's she has done as premier do actually border a little bit on like I I'm going to try to find a kind word but they they just they're not logical they don't make sense and some of that is like we brought in they brought in a piece of legislation to ensure that Cpp we would not leave Cpp as a province without a referendum and then didn't make the referendum results binding So it was all just a political show. And for anyone who's watching this stuff closely, not only are they really worried about this issue, but they're really annoyed with the government like this doesn't make sense. It's a lot of political grandstanding and what it means for people on the ground could be really damaging.
0: Erica, were you surprised to see that referendum made to be non-binding? It's it's to be honest, it's a joke, right? It's it's a joke to spend 50 I'm pulling the number out of thin air, but to spend 50 million dollars on a referendum and then say we don't have to actually listen to the results. I would dare a politician to move forward with a bold move like holding a referendum and then defying the results, but they left themselves the loophole if they want it. And they were pushed yeah, to end it
3: and 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 fair. I mean, that's like not a lot of people, I think would would pick up the the amendment because uh, there's a lot of things that the opposition bring forward that are also. Not logical. Um, not not that this is one of those cases. I think yes, uh, bringing a bill forward where you're usually creating law, and that's the purpose. This was more of a symbolic piece, similar to the Sovereignty Act, where it's more about the gesture to reassure Albertans that there was not going to be something without a referendum. I think what you'll see from the government, and you can hold me against this if they do differently. I think it's about thirty-three million or something like that for a referendum. I don't oh, like referendums. Oh, I think all. no, but like. <laughs> (laughs) I don't like referendums. I think it's like something that, you know, politicians put in place to reassure the public. But you've also elected a government based on some of these things, and they should make that decision. Um, I think that that was because of potential skepticism around the uh, Alberta pension plan and reassuring Albertans that this won't be a government decision. Um, So. Interesting piece of legislation. Again, I think it was less about lawmaking more about um, the symbolism or communication tactic around the pension plan, because they did get criticism. Uh, I I don't think the government's going to act fast on this one, I would be very surprised, you know, I I would scream and shout if the government held a standalone referendum given the price tag on taxpayers um but I don't think we're gonna see it you know anytime soon well, and also just even the fact, coming up.
0: also just the fact that they're gonna lose and they're gonna look foolish <laughs> like it's uh, my my prediction is that this is slowly just going to fade away and disappear because it's a bad idea I mean
3: yeah I, I don't yeah, think I, it's gonna fade away right away I think we're gonna see hopefully and as I've said on the podcast, Many a times I would love if the government spent 2024 doing more on education, more on the impacts. And as government nonpartisan, I don't love how much politicizing the NDP are giving it because I do think this is a huge education piece for people um, on what the CPP really means for you, uh, what an APP would mean to you. I think they should hold the federal government accountable to give a number of what we'd actually get. And I think they could have done more on the impacts cross-jurisdictionally and had the, those numbers in their back pocket as a government because those are symbolic uh, and, and quite re- relevant. Um, so I, I think that they need to do more consultation on this and more education, but I think it's going to be far less, um, quote unquote, in your face than we've seen uh, from, from, you know, the right when the ucp came out with the report
0: you you feel like they need to do more consultation i feel like they need to drop it and that's my political advice i'm offering for free uh let's wrap with (laughs) this uh everybody thinks that they know everybody that you talk to the all all of the you know the 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 commentators the pundits everybody thinks they know when rachel notley's going to resign as leader of the ndp in alberta politics blogger david kleimanhaga went so far as to predict that she would resign last friday he called the day and of course the day came and went without a resignation. Cheryl, when will it be and who will replace her? Let's get into it. So
4: here's the thing. Rachel has been in public life serving as an elected official since 2008. She has been the party's leader for a decade. And I think we should just back off and let her take the time to announce a decision about her future in the time that she wants to take. I don't think it's going to take much longer. I think people are anxious to hear about what she intends to do and what this next election cycle will look like. But I think people should just, you know, 16 years almost as an elected official, right in the spotlight, taking heat from all sides um, in Alberta. And I think we should just, everyone should just enjoy their Christmas, and let Rachel make a Aww. decision about Rachel. Aww, Rachel that, that's, huh?
2: Isn't that nice, Cheryl? That, that's
0: very nice, but that's not what <laughs> we do. Give us the good. That's not what we yeah. do, and you have the inside scoop, and all we do is dig for inside scoop, and so and so we we need to know who's next. Let me ask you this then, from a and, and I do take your point, Cheryl, and it is a good mm-hmm. one. From a strategy standpoint, does a leader, let, let's make this a little bit more ambiguous so you can be more comfortable in answering it. Does the leader of a political party typically... Have their successor chosen? Do they have a favorite? And and are there some things happening behind the scenes probably where the leader of Alberta's NDP is going to do what she can to ensure that her top choice has the best shot at succeeding her?
4: so i mean i don't think the alberta ndp is a is typical because all of the party's success like the party has been successful since 2015 and all of that success has been led by rachel notley and she has been the party brand she has been the face of the party there hasn't been really a ton of room for other people in the caucus or in the peripheries to sparkle and i think also uh, you know as these rumors have arisen There is no one there is such an incredible allegiance to Rachel Notley within the party and within the caucus that you won't see anyone do anything that looks like they're trying to push her out. And so um, the dynamics are a little different than, say, if you have a party that's been successful over decades and many political dynamics and many, you know, people who have sparkled at different moments in the party's success, the, the dynamics are really unique. And yes, there are a group of people in the, in the caucus who I'm sure will seek the leadership, who, I'm, who I believe are very capable at seeking the leadership. I don't think you'll see Rachel personally back anyone. Um because the the politics with that are just so complicated, but I yeah. think there's a number of people who have lots of experience and will step up when the when the opportunity is right.
0: Okay, just straight up question, Cheryl. If I ask you to give us a name, who, who are you going to give us a name or no? Who do you think would win?
4: Of the of the who I think the next leader will be? Yeah, yeah. I don't have a name. I don't have a name because there's a, there's, I I know there are a number of people who would seek the job if it were, if it were available. And I don't necessarily think that there's one who is positioned better than any of the others. I think this is a super accurate chart you have up. I think all of these people would, you know, have some interest in seeking the leadership. And I don't think there is like a specific successor waiting in the wings.
0: Okay. For people listening on the podcast, the chart that uh, Johnny just had up had former Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi, former Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson, David Shepard, who's currently the the health critic, Janice Irwin, obviously high profile. Well, they're all high profile. Kathleen Ganley, Sarah Hoffman. Uh, we have Shannon Phillips and Racky Pantroy. And of course, there are others. Erica, who's your money on? Like, who, who are you watching from, you know, let's say across the aisle, so to speak? Who are you keep? Who do you think, like, like let's step outside of the, the partisan yeah. boots for a second. Who really impresses you?
3: I would actually, and maybe I'm like early picking who I think is going to do really well. Uh, Racky. Potentially it would be uh, someone and I'll say like from a conservative standpoint, having another very capable female um, come up one again from Edmonton, I think helps the NDP. uh, That is someone that I'm going to be watching. I think Ganley is another big one. I I think some of those people on the list are are going to you know, dip their toes and and not jump in. Um, if I'm looking from a conservative standpoint, those are probably who I think are the biggest threats uh, because they do check a lot of boxes that contrast. I will say, I don't think if Rachel Notley hasn't stepped down now, I think she's got another session in her. And the reason I say that is to some of the things Cheryl highlighted, like there hasn't been a clear path. Like Rachel Notley has kind of run her caucus with her 10 feet ahead head of her, her caucus, um, as opposed to shoulder to shoulder. And you don't have, you couldn't pick out her favorites, um, or who she's kind of created a pipeline for also, you know, She right now is probably raising a bunch of money for the NDP. They're doing data grabs with the pension. So I think they'll continue to do that. So she's going to leave her party. And I think she would want to strategically with money in the bank that she's going to, you know, leverage talking about the budget, talking about doctors, talking about the things that they talked about this session going into 2024 so that she's leaving with a legacy of having a heck of a lot of data from their roadshow pretend consultations. Uh and then there um you can't,
0: you can't bring system. a conservative perspective on the show and talk about pretend <laughs> consultations. There's yeah. no way we can let it fly. I just Erica. did, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you just did. I had to say something. I had to say, but something. No, I, think I didn't mean she's going to gonna get data.
3: And she, no, 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 she's going to get data. She's going to get that. And if I was Rachel Notley, heck yeah. I want to go toe to toe to with Danielle Smith on one more budget. Right. Mm. So I think she's going to have another session in there. I think what we're going to see next session is actually some, some of these key people that have, uh, of interest in leadership, getting the opportunity to, run with something or stick their, you know, flag in an issue that is really important to them to start separating them because, you know, Rachel Notley has done an incredible job of being more the brand than the Alberta NDP have. And so you're, I think we're going to watch her next session, maybe slowly take a back seat, but punch where Rachel Notley wants to punch because this woman has done an incredible, um, job for her party and she's going to raise as much money and get them as much data, uh, as she can before she says sayonara.
4: And I promise you that should Rachel decide not to be the leader of the party anymore, she will continue to collect data and raise money. Mm -hmm. Like, I just can't imagine a world where these things are not priorities for her. So uh, there's no end to that. Whether she's the leader or not, I think that will continue. And I I
3: do think, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I do think it's it's very classy if she doesn't pick someone to back uh, publicly. I mean, it didn't help. Um, some of the candidates in the UCP to for it to be evident of who the outgoing premier supported. I think for the benefit of the NDP, actually having the exiting leader just be a champion for the party uh, is is a strategic and a very you know classy move.
0: Yeah, classy and also probably politically strategic for her future. Cheryl, can you envision a world where where Notley's political career continues, maybe on the federal stage? I mean, she seems to be an obvious shortlisted candidate for the federal party that could use a lot of help right now.
4: You know, you, you can imagine she's been asked this question so many times. I don't even like, ask Do her you anymore, have political yeah. aspirations? You've probably asked her this question, right? A hundred times. Um, Do you have political aspirations on a federal stage? And she makes very clear every time someone asks her that she doesn't speak French. Um, And I think you should read into that. I mean, she does speak a little bit of French. Um, Maybe she could learn. But the fact that she makes it so clear that she does not speak fluent French, I think you should read into that she, at least at current time, does not have federal aspirations. Yeah,
0: I remember uh, in elementary and junior high school watching my buddy Nathan's dad Preston go to French lessons so he could school up and ultimately build his reform party into the official opposition. Uh, If you want to learn the French, you do. And if you're looking for a convenient way to get off the hook and stop the questions about federal leadership you simply say Je ne parle pas français Um, (laughs) Congratulations to both of you Cheryl Oates and Erica Brutis On a phenomenal launch of of, of your your inaugural season Covering fall session at the Discourse Can't wait to see what you guys do with this project You absolutely nailed it and, And it fills a void when it comes to political discourse In the province of Alberta And across the country for that matter I want to encourage people to subscribe on YouTube And wherever they get your podcasts We'll have the links in the show notes Thanks for giving us your time this morning as well Your perspectives A very happy holiday season and a Merry Christmas to you both.
4: Thanks, Ryan, and thanks for all your support.
0: You got it, of course. 100% we're proud to do it. Um, We should acknowledge that... uh the intrepid producer of this show, John Hicks, did an amazing job on the Discourse Project as well. So congratulations to you on yeah, a, on a was, season very well done.
2: It was super fun working with Eric and Cheryl. They're both very knowledgeable, and I like when they get into it. I, I like, like when they get into they it. They started off a little, a little too uh, nice, if you want <laughs> the, but it,
0: They were finding their yeah, footing, though. You because know?
2: who else do you want to hear about, especially when you're talking about two people on either side of the aisle, especially in this province who are going head-to-head, and they have inside knowledge I want the dirt and I want them to get
0: dirty. Uh, Jim on the live chat says I predict that the United Conservatives will try to sell an Alberta pension uh, an APP that invests in an Alberta crown corporation you know investing in Alberta for Alberta. Jim I think that that's a great comment maybe Mm -hmm. has something to do with natural gas infrastructure I like that. Great to see former uh, natural gas. Great to see former Calgary Councillor Jeremy Farkas in the chat this morning. Good morning to you Jeremy Says, uh, says the APP is a horrible wedge issue for the Conservatives. He says does not even half of UCP supporters think that the APP is a good idea? It divides conservatives and it unites progressives. They need to choose better issues. I think that Jeremy hits the nail on the head. And that's why I'm saying I believe that we will see it <laughs> slowly, it <laughs> slowly fade away. But It'll be one of that, those ideas that just goes away.
2: Yeah, I, I loved your question posed to Erica as well, because it would be it would be unprecedented for like there to be a referendum and, oh, and then, then ignore you know, it what if it was close and it was like 60 40 and they're like ah, we're just gonna go ahead and well, it's like what's the
0: point <laughs> of it what was the point of it that would be crazy Can you imagine the quebec referendum yeah. back in the day and it's like you know everybody decides to stay and then they're like nah we're leaving <laughs> we're gone <laughs> Every Wednesday, uh, we have a chance to to head out to the mountains, uh, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper. It's my Jasper memories, and sometimes we're talking to you about our own personal memories. Sometimes we're talking to you about long-held traditions, and every once in a while, we get to tell you about something brand new. And this is super exciting. I want to direct you to Jasper Theater. And that'll be in the show notes as well. If you want to check it out at jaspertheater.ca you can see, you know, that Jasper Theatre Productions, you've heard about this crew last year. They launched that summer hit show from Jasper with Love. And you're probably listening to this or watching this going, yeah, I would have loved to see it, except for it was sold out every single time. Wildly popular. People absolutely loved it. Well, the same folks are offering an unforgettable evening of pure joy, a new dinner and theater experience in the Rocky Mountains in Jasper National Park. The night's going to kick off at the Inn Grill, a hidden culinary gem in Jasper. We invite you to bring your nearest and dearest to share in a three-course feast, and they've got an absolutely fabulous wine list. And don't worry about getting thirsty before the show, by the way. They leave the bar open ahead of time. You can get well-watered, as we say. Now, once the dinner's done, it's showtime, so Jasper Theater Productions takes the stage with a festive, funny, heartwarming performance all about the holidays, and they've thrown in all their favorite ingredients, laughs, good energy, even a dash of Christmas magic, all served up in that classic Jasper Theater style. Get ready for a holiday ride that will leave you smiling. The shows are going to go Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. They kick off on Boxing Day, December 26th, and they'll run through till January 6th. So it's a limited run, December 26th to January 6th, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. You can find out more or get your tickets by visiting Jaspertheater.ca My Jasper Memories is proudly presented Wednesdays on Real Talk by our friends at Tourism Jasper. You know, it's interesting, and, and, I, and I love uh, the, the comment. It seems like the live chat's busier today than it has been in a Oh, it's and, booming. And, and I am loving seeing new names in here that we don't recognize, which is great. We want to welcome all of you. If you're just discovering Real Talk, we want to welcome you to this community. Um, and it's interesting to see people's takes. Uh, you know, Tara Lynn says, I love a conversation with differing perspectives uh on this and and others are finding value in that but but i will say this one of the things i notice a common theme and this just reiterates the idea around the alberta pension plan Mm. is it almost doesn't matter which party you support it doesn't matter where you lean politically it seems like the majority of people just want hands off the pension yeah right some things you might go like how do you feel about a carbon tax well if if you're conservative i'm being very lazy here but if you're a conservative chances are you probably oppose it you know if you're if you support the federal liberals chances are up until recently maybe anyway you felt that it was an okay or even intuitive way to address emissions reduction in Canada it became very politicized but the pension thing it's bad it crosses those boundaries like it's sort of like it's one of those things that obviously affects everybody or people to varying degrees Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting to see almost the politics I would say it's it's being politicked but the politics are taken out of it From the critics. Mm -hmm. And I
2: I think the worst thing is the time it will take once, because right now we're just fighting about, should we tinker with it? And then once we're done fighting about that and we say, okay, we are, we're going to get our cut of the money and we're going to figure out our own way to do it. Then it's going to be years of back and forth on how the numbers are going to work out and everything like that. So if you're someone like for me, I feel for the older people who are going to be sitting there Wondering the people who are a few years away from their pension, wondering over three, four years as they figure this out what is going to happen with their money? That's scary stuff.
0: And it starts, it's like, what does it mean to your bottom line? That's about as personal as it gets for people. Uh, We got an email from Riley to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Riley lets us know, um, get this, says, I love your show and I know you like to hear from your audience. Nailed it, Riley. Says, so I'm nervously sending you my very first email after listening to Tuesday's episode. I appreciate that, Riley. Says, there's no doubt that Tristan Hopper evokes a reaction in his audience. Uh, We had the National Post columnist on on Tuesday's episode, talking about a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Riley says, the charisma that normally draws me in caused a visceral reaction of the opposite nature when I listened to Tristan's opinion on Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek and all the talk about supporting Israel. It's feeling to me like the atrocities in Gaza are being talked about with such little empathy, and I'm feeling heartbroken for all of the suffering that's being portrayed as deserved as deserve it. Uh, Let's use the analogy of siblings uh, for these neighboring uh, nations rife with tension. Uh, Israel, the older brother, Gaza, the younger brother, and the world as the parents, says Riley. Gaza, the younger brother who prior to October 7th was under the constant supervision of their older sibling. One day the tension builds and the younger brother, Gaza, takes a shot and punches the older brother right in the nose and it's a painful and shocking blow. And the older sibling, Israel, retaliates and not only punches their brother back, but absolutely pummels them into a bloody state of unconsciousness. And when the parents, the world, comes home to see the youngest child lifeless on the floor and presses the older child for answers, what happened, uh, their oldest child responds with, well, he started it. Uh, The most basic parenting lesson needs to be applied, and that is that two wrongs don't make a right. It is just that simple says Riley. The parent, rather than high-fiving the oldest child, is doing a shoulder shrug. Uh, needs to pick up that child off the floor, call an ambulance, and stop the bleeding. Now, I know, says Riley, that my analogy is Far from perfect. Uh, But I do think that it accomplishes, highlighting why I am so disheartened by this situation in Gaza and the portrayal that they are deserving of this beating because they started it, says Riley. The acts of October 7th were not okay. The war on Gaza is not okay. Israel was attacked and people say, well, what were they supposed to do? And I don't know what the answer is, but I know it's not this because simply put, two wrongs don't make a right. There it is, my first email to you in the books. That from Riley. Thanks, Riley. Uh, we also heard from a whole bunch of you, and I've been trying to, if you've noticed over the past few episodes, trying to fit in a few emails, every single one, uh, following our conversation with Charles Adler, there was something different about this Monday. It just, it resonated. Adler and I b- both being accused, to, to varying degrees, of kind of going, huh, about climate change, and that was not the intention of the conversation, and it's not how I feel. I know it's not how Chuck feels as well. But when he started talking about plastic straws, and now he wants to keep plastic straws, but he wants the plastic out of the ocean, but he still wants his plastic straws. That, like, that <laughs> that kinda, it kind of resonated with a whole bunch of people, like Brad, who basically says, "I agree that that you know." And, and we were talking about so-called alarmism, and and Adler had cited Dr. Joe Vipond. I know I'm dropping a lot of names on you here, real talkers. But Vipon joined us from COP on Friday Okay, He joined us from Dubai uh, for the show And he basically talked about how he thinks Oil and gas is a lousy investment In particular for indigenous communities uh, Seeking ownership stakes and big projects Because he doesn't think that there's an extended future. He doesn't think that there's 50 years worth of revenue. So he thinks that the government needs to stop dangling that carrot. He says, basically, civilization's going to end and we're not going to be able to burn these fossil fuels. And and Adler kind of rolled his eyes, right, on Monday and said, once you start talking about the end of civilization... That's where you lose me. If you missed it, I encourage you to check it out. That's Monday's episode of Real Talk. So Brad says, "I do agree, you know, talking about the end of civilization or people suggesting we should just keep the rest of the oil in the ground, those are typically conversation enders." But says Brad, "The argument that the sales go elsewhere, and Adler had made that argument very basically said if you stop selling oil and gas on the world stage, Your competitors are just going to sell it to your former customers, so it doesn't make sense. Uh, Brad says, I don't think that's a genuine argument. The idea that everybody heads in this direction, that's literally the point of COP. That's literally the point of the whole conference. I saw Heidi making the same point in our chat this morning. Brad says, it's a super convenient argument for the delay crowd to make in every jurisdiction. And then where do you get? You get nowhere. Brad says, I see every individual argument for changing the entire energy industry kind of falls apart in isolation. But when they're all taken together, the story changes you know, leaving maybe 80% in the ground and planning for that makes sense if there's mass electrification, which cuts demand and makes it a money lover. That from Brad. So interesting take there, and we sure appreciate it. And I wanted to get to Jason as well, who takes issue with the plastic straws comment. He says, "It's, it's great to hear Mr. Adler say that he can go without plastic straws. You know, most real Albertans throw a temper tantrum at the thought of not having plastic straws. Those aren't the Albertans who I grew up with that faced their problems and triumphed over adversity. But, says Jason, and with respect, Adler's return commentary about environmental issues and about Joe Vipond's messaging was very elementary. It was like cut and paste from a 2008 WordPress blog. <laughs> it surprised me, nice reference. It surprised me that somebody from an advanced position on the media landscape had that elementary of a view on these issues and seemed surprised that Dr. Vipond had used dire language that's from jason writing in from the beautiful community of of Sylvan Lake, mm. I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Those can take our straws, but you can't take our freedom. <laughs> if they could only do the, I'm not going to get going on this. But if they could just do the paper straws just a little bit better, could
2: you just, just do a could, like could, a plastic just, tip on could, there for me so I can just, still feel just like the I'm, tip,
0: just the <laughs> just tip, just the tip of it. Yeah, uh, love Tony in the chat saying a friendly reminder, reminder to slam the like button. We sure appreciate that. Uh, you know that means a lot to us when you share our content. leave a comment let us know rate the podcast all the things you can do to help amplify our impact Heidi says I love that email from Brad way to call out all the delayers that's right the delayers hey Don't delay. See what I did there, Johnny? (laughs) See what I did there? Don't delay. Visit Friesen.com today and make it a December to remember. You can grab Mike's Meals. They got a beautiful turkey cranberry sandwich in-house. Or, of course, you can order your Ukrainian inspired Christmas dinner box. This is what our family has done many, many times. What I love about it personally, I love hosting, but I don't necessarily love being by myself in the kitchen while everybody else has a great time. I Love the social side of hosting And that's why this is absolutely perfect You gather your loved ones and Christmas dinner Is ready, it's ready to go You put it in the oven, you heat it up And there you have it. You've got turkey, you've got pierogies, you've got stuffing, you've got all the sides, plus you can add on, make it totally custom. Your chef-prepared Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinner box is only a click away. You can order yours today at cateringbyfriesen.com. We've also been reminding you of some great gift ideas, and I know that this is maybe an unconventional gift, but if you're looking to gift your family space, design quality time together? How about a Christmas gift from Eden Landscaping? I'm talking about a consultation meeting where you all get together, you share your ideas with Mike and his team, and then the next thing you know, you've got a 3D rendering of what your brand new backyard, front yard, whatever the outdoor space is, what it could look like. You get the conversation started this time of year. Their design team goes to work. They're getting all of the elements ordered. Some of them, of course, if you're going super unique or or maybe you want to get some of those big boulders. I love people that put in the big rock gardens. That takes time to get here. By the time spring arrives, there you go. You've got a head start and you'll be in your new space enjoying it all come summer. That conversation with Eden Landscaping starts today at landscapeedmonton.ca And if you're looking to do something for yourself as you head into 2024, why not better your chances at some new emerging job opportunities? You know that employment opportunities are out there. If you're feeling a little underprepared for them, Athabasca University could get you back on the right track they've got world-class accredited online degrees and courses designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you so if you're a parent you've got your hands full you can find your fit if you're working full-time and it's not an option to step away from your job you can make it work with Athabasca University you can find them online at athabascau.ca Coming up on Thursday's Real Talk, we invite you to join us as we talk to the head of Alberta's doctors and we talk to an executive with Alberta's dentists. Now, we're going to be chatting about the conversations that they're having with government, in particular the health ministers. We'll be digging deeper into some of the crises that we see on the front lines and some of the solutions that they're proposing. But we'd also love to have you have a say you can send us an email anytime a suggested question that you'd love to hear me ask our guests it's just an email away to talk at RyanJesperson.com.
1: real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford technical producer john hicks general manager katie cook chivers Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson member emerita julie roar real talk is recorded in edmonton alberta on treaty six territory the traditional and ancestral territory of the cree dene blackfoot soto and nakota sioux home to the metis settlements and the metis nation of alberta real talk is a relay project for more check out ryan